For those of you who don't know me, my name is Russell Woods. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Rise. Uh, I do young adults. I do city groups. I do Alpha, and occasionally they let me preach, so I'm very grateful uh, to be here with you, as always. Um, I just want to start off, uh, we've been in a series called Encountering Jesus. Have you all been enjoying this series? Good. Me too. I feel like every week I'm kind of sitting in the back back there crying. I don't know if it's midlife approaching fast or it's just the series is really good. I don't know. But uh, I did want to tell you that on behalf of our leadership here, on behalf of the teaching team here, we're, what we're after in this series is for you not to leave and just say that was a nice talk. I mean, that's, that's nice. You can say that. <laughs> but you, you, our, our goal is not that you would leave and say, that was a nice talk. This is a nice series. The heart of this series is that you would encounter Jesus because that is what is available and on offer to you. So just to clear the air, that's kind of our why about what we're doing here today. Encountering Jesus is for you. That is for you. Now, as I say that, as I state the intent of our, of our series and for us as teachers, I want to also name and recognize likely what is attention. Many of us would probably say, I want to encounter Jesus. That sounds great, but <laughs> I want to encounter Jesus, but I don't know how. I want to encounter Jesus, but I think it might be more for back then and not now. Or really, if I'm guessing right, I think deep down for most of us, it's I want to encounter Jesus, but I think that's for someone else. Someone smarter, someone better, someone cooler, whatever, fill in the blank. As long as this person is not me, I'm sure Jesus is looking to do encounter. Anyone else? I feel this all the time. It's, it's for someone else. It couldn't be for someone like me. And I just want to say, <laughs> as someone who struggles with that, in the name and authority of Jesus, that is a lie from the enemy. You are the person he is looking to have encounter with. Today and Monday through Saturday, you are the person Jesus is looking for encounter with. But the catch of this series, I think that we're all kind of learning, is there is a bit of a catch that encountering Jesus requires that we learn how to pursue after his heart. We have to learn how to pursue after his heart. You see, in each story, if you've been kind of paying attention to big themes of this series, in each story, a dance is playing out. A pursuit and a reciprocation. A give and a take. It's a two-way street. Jesus responds to people as they respond to him. There's a way, it seems, to turn his face there's a way, it seems, to get his attention. There is a way, it seems, to win Jesus' heart. And our story today kind of holds the same tension and same power. I want to reread with you verses 1 through 4 of our story. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was American. And he was seeking to see, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. I wonder if I was assigned this text for a reason. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree, for he, Jesus, was about to pass that way. Now, as we read the beginning of the story, I want to ask a question. 
if Zacchaeus had not climbed that tree, would he have encountered Jesus? If Zacchaeus had not climbed the tree, would he have encountered Jesus? Let me say that, ask that another way. If Zacchaeus had not put in the work, would Zacchaeus have experienced the wonder? Now, as I say that, let me just share a little bit about my background. I, once upon a time, went to Bible college. And because God is still a God of miracles, I graduated Bible college. But when I was there, um, there was this thing that happened specifically at Bible college where freshmen and sophomore dudes, it's never the ladies, it's always the dudes, come to Bible college and in church history, we have these big theological debates that have been debated for thousands of years. But freshman homeboy comes in his pajama bottoms midday and wants to debate and tell you, I got it figured out. I'm, am I feeling a little angsty? I'm over it. No, it's not a big deal. It really bothered me because I'm more of like a pragmatic kind of guy. The stuff you think about Jesus doesn't impress me as much as the stuff you do for Jesus. That's what draws me to someone. And so I just, didn't, I just didn't like it. Why are we talking for hours about this thing we're never gonna get to the bottom of? In our pajama bottoms. And we've slept through class, but we think we can solve 2,000-year-old debates. I'm over it. I've moved on. It's not a big deal. I'm saying all this to say I'm not trying to ask this question to be needlessly philosophical with you. I think the text we have today asks this question. If Zacchaeus had not put in the work, would Zacchaeus have experienced the wonder? Jesus was passing through. Now, not to put on my own pajama bottoms, that's, that's awkward, but we're gonna talk a bit about theology this morning, okay? Got to talk a bit about God's sovereignty and our free will today, because the story talks about this, or at least implies it. God's sovereignty, if you're new to church, is a fancy theological way of saying God is in control. He sits on the throne of heaven and earth. He is not surprised by the things we are surprised by. He is in control, even when it doesn't feel like it. Amen? He is sovereign. He is over. He is all-powerful. He is good. and He's not surprised. He is sovereign. But equally present in Scripture, almost as a balancing to the scale, is our free will. That because of God, I would argue because of his great love for his creation, creates us like him. We have agency. We aren't puppets on a string. We have a part to play in the dance or not to play. We are living in a story, and we have a choice about how this story will go. And sometimes, if you're like me, I wish I was a puppet on a string because I would stop screwing up so much. But this is the reality in which we live. Are you with me? J.I. Packer, very selectively, I chose J.I. Packer for this quote. He's a big fan of God's sovereignty, so don't come at me, okay? He says, free agency or free will confronts us with mystery, Inasmuch as God's control over our free, self-determined activities is as complete as it is over anything else. And how this can be, we do not know. What is he saying? God's sovereignty exists, and our free will exists, and in the middle is our life, which is full of mystery. And I would go a bit further and say, 
We in the church, the moment we feel comfortable with that reality, the moment we feel like we've got that figured out, I guarantee you, you do not have that figured out. (laughs) I was gonna say something about pajama bottoms, but I need to let that die. Let that die. No, the moment we think we have God figured out, we don't. The moment we think we have the transcendent Father figured out, we don't. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, talks, he has this phrase, he, he, he says, poverty of spirit. He calls us to poverty of spirit, which I would just call a ever-present humility as we approach the throne of who God is. Not like we can't have confidence about who God is, but we recognize he is God and we are not. That's poverty of spirit. There's this verse in Job. I, I, I read the book of Job many times. Only this last year, I, this verse has been speaking to really where I'm at personally with the Lord. Job and his friends are debating who God is. And Elihu comes onto the scene and he sees this debate and he says to his fellows, his dudes, God is great and we do not know him. God is great and we do not know him. If you've grown up in the church, this stuff, this language, the text of scripture, it can become cliche and we can believe slowly over time that we've got it figured out. We don't. And the moment you think you have it figured out, you might be losing your poverty of spirit and your ability to commune with the real God who wants relationship with you. Not a textbook to figure him out. Here's where I'm going with this. If your theology, the structure of belief you've grown up with or you've built for your life prevents you from seeking after God, be careful. I do not know a biblical story where God uses someone as a hero where they weren't pursuing after him in some way or another. Be careful. Here's where I'm going with our story today. Life with God is a dance. It's a two-way street. It's a two-way dance. It's pursuit. It's wrestling. And in our story, it's climbing. It's climbing the tree to seek after him. Zacchaeus is pursuing after God. Listen to some of the action words. This is a 10-verse story. This is a short story. Short guy, short story. Ten, uh, that was good. Ten verse story. Here's, what, here's the action ver- verbs. Seeking to see. Zacchaeus ran ahead. He climbed up. He hurried up and down. He came down and he stood and he said. He is an active agent pursuing after Jesus in this story. And don't miss this part of the story. The very beginning of the story starts with, he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. Would Zacchaeus have missed encounter if he had not pursued encounter? And this theme of pursuit, guys, is everywhere in Scripture. Had Moses not had the internal wrestling with God for years in the wilderness, would he have, he, would he have been able to see the burning bush? If David had not pursued the heart of God for years as a shepherd, would he have ever become a man after God's own heart? Elijah in 1 Kings 19, God tells Elijah, come out of the cave, I'm about to pass by. Don't miss me, Elijah. You could miss me. 
Genesis 32, Jacob wrestles with God and wins. Have you all ever read that story? That's crazy. The incarnate Jesus wrestles with Jacob, and Jacob wins the wrestling match. He secures God's blessing. That is crazy. And Jacob leaves with a limp. If you've ever wrestled with God, you leave with a limp, don't you? But he wins the blessing. In our story, Jesus is passing through. Zacchaeus runs ahead. He climbs up. And I love this this line. He's seeking to see. He's seeking to see. Does Zacchaeus climbing the tree save him? No, we'll get to that later. But here is the tension I think our story brings to light, okay? I think many of us, for various reasons, some good, some bad, have grown up or come to faith believing the lie that faith in Jesus is supposed to be easy. I believe many of us have internalized some sort of lie that has told us that faith and walking with Jesus is supposed to be easy, and it is not easy. It is good. It is the best thing you can give your life to. There is redemption. There is healing. There is wholeness. But it's not easy. It's not easy. I know many people in my life who have walked away from Jesus, and an undercurrent of their why is, this is getting hard. I don't feel him like I used to. We don't have good theology in the church when the feelings leave. But they do leave, and they want, at one point or another will come back because when the feelings are gone, God is trying to do something there that he can't do when the feelings are up here. But we don't have a good theology that gets us through the valleys. We only have good theology for the mountaintops. We live in an age of Amazon, airplanes, and microwaves. And faith in God is slow cooking. You ever cooked a a rack of ribs, you know, in the slow cooker? There's glory at the end, but you got to deal with the blood and the package. You got to cut things up. It sucks in the beginning, but there's glory at the end. That is life with God. (laughs) Barbecue analogies always land. You're welcome. There we go. Life with Jesus is wrestling, it is struggle, it is climbing. It's not easy. It's worth it, but it's not easy. Life with Jesus is not without yokes and burdens. It is Jesus in the yoke and the burden with you. And the burden, because of that, becomes light, but there's still burden. It's still hard. There's still mystery. There's still pain. That's not going away this side of eternity. But he will be with you. That's Christianity. But once you've tasted Jesus, once you've had a little bit of encounter, Your whole Christian life is addicted for that. That's the addiction that won't kill you. That's the addiction that leads to life. 
Everything I have and do is after that. And sometimes as you pursue after encounter, the fire in you is hot and it's burning and it's consuming and it will spread. And other times pursuing after Jesus is just making sure the coals don't die. Sometimes it's just making sure the coals don't die. Here's where I'm going. Many of us, I think, are longing for encounter with Jesus, but we're not climbing for it. It's hard. Some days you feel it. Some days you feel him in the room, your presence, his glory. Some days are not that. I think all of us are looking for encounter, but we've been fed the lie that we don't have to climb for it. We've got to climb for it. Zacchaeus is climbing and he's seeking to see. What I love about this story is this. Behind Zacchaeus' climbing in this story, I believe, is Zacchaeus having a childlike spirit. He has a childlike heart pursuing after God. In the very chapter before this story, this is what Jesus says. Let the children come to me. And do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God is like a child and shall not enter it. That's the chapter before. Zacchaeus shows a childlike spirit that inherits the kingdom of God. He's a tree climber. Some of you adults maybe do it. I stopped about 20 years old because I need my ribs and femur intact. Tree climbing is for kids. When they fall out of the tree, they're fine. Us adults, uh-uh. Maybe, maybe you're all different, okay? I'm a little feeble. Okay, I stopped climbing trees about 20. My kids love climbing trees. It's a childlike activity. Zacchaeus, I gotta be careful here. Zacchaeus is physically a little guy, okay? Those of us little guys, that doesn't mean anything about us being childish. Watch out. But he is physically little, Jesus invites himself to dinner and Zacchaeus joyfully receives him. And Zacchaeus' name literally means innocent and pure, like a child. (laughs) They're having dinner in his home and Zacchaeus says, behold, Lord. That's old English for look at me. (laughs) Look at me, Jesus. Look at me give away half of my wealth. Look at me repay anyone I've wronged four times over. Aren't you pleased with me, Abba? The childlike spirit, Zacchaeus gets it. But the most important part of this childlike spirit he gets, I believe, is his repentant heart. He gets repentance right. Luke 19, verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said, Behold, look at me, Jesus. Half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. I got three kiddos. I got two young boys. My oldest daughter, Nora, is about five years old. And she is a tender-hearted girl. She's my, I call her my precious one because she is just precious. She's tender-hearted. Um, she gets it from me. Um, it's a joke. She gets it from my wife. Um, but when she is caught in sin, I know I'm a pastor, but my kids do sin, okay? Um, when she is caught in sin, she is so quick to tears. She's just wrecked by sin. She gets it on an intuitive level. This is not how it's meant to be. I've, I've introduced division and pain with my siblings, with mom or with dad, 
The other day we were on a walk. I was being a great husband, taking my kids out of the house on a walk. And she's riding her bike on a pedal bike and she rides ahead of me and I can't see her. And we, we live in Southeast Portland and I need to see her. And I found her and I wasn't happy. I'll just say that, you know, I wasn't happy picking up her brother who moves at about negative one miles per hour with me and she's going this way and I'm like, I'm trying to be a good husband and I can't see my girl. And she received a little bit of heat from me because I couldn't see her. And she's just weeping. You see, in my formation as a man, I started in about my early 20s in ministry, uh, in addiction and recovery world. I was in charge of about 60 people, 60 men in recovery, and I was about 24 years old. And I was working the night shift with them in downtown Portland. And there was just a way we spoke to each other that I couldn't uh, do here. And after that season of my life, I was a blue-collar worker with a bunch of other guys. And there was a way that we spoke to each other that we don't do here, okay? (laughs) And I've had to learn, like, that part of my formation sometimes works, but with my tender-hearted girl, it doesn't. Now, that's the fun stuff. Let's get to the real stuff. I also, in me, in my bloodline, in me, carry the sin and the stronghold of blame. When I grew up, it was slamming doors, it was stomping feet, and anything that went wrong had to be someone's fault. And I'm working through that personally, and because my wife loves Jesus more than she loves me, calls me out, teach that girl. Don't expect her to know, teach her. Be the heart of the loving father, the gentle father, the compassionate father to your girl. That's what she needs. I am learning how to do this. That's me, but here, here's, here's Nora. She has a tender heart. It's beautiful, but we're, for her, we're trying to teach her that when you sin, sin is not right, but we're not surprised by your sin. We don't expect you to be perfect in this home. We are not perfect in this home. And so we are trying to model repentance from mom and dad and teach her repentance. This is normal in this house. There is freedom in this house. And when you mess up, I want you to come to me, not run from me. That's what we're working towards in our house. I'm trying to teach her, sweetie, this is normal. You are learning. When you sin, it is not the end of the world. This is what it is to follow Jesus. And I think so many of us have grown up in perfectionistic environments. We are afraid to ever admit we are wrong. That's what's been modeled to so many of us. Here's where I'm going. Children, the heart of a child, I believe, in the right environment, children typically are really good at repentance. In my life experience and pastoral experience, you know who I think is really bad at it? Us. Adults. We are fine talking about our testimony and our darkness back then. What about right now? Let's keep a safe distance from now. Bob Sorge says this. I love this quote. It's so good. Want some good advice? Become a good repenter. It's how we keep moving forward with God. If pride tries to hinder you from repenting, kill the thing. You are a wretch. You need mercy so badly it's scary. Wise up and master the art of repentance. Call your sin in its worst possible terms. You're not surprising anyone. Definitely not the father. 
in the church, we here at Rise try to be really careful with this reality that many of us are coming to this church with church hurt. You have been victimized. You've been wronged. We see you. And equal and opposite to that reality, which we acknowledge here, is the spirit of victimhood in the church, which is demonic, which guards you from the core of letting Jesus get to your core. When I hear things like my old church, I'm so glad I'm at Rise because at my old church, my old job, my old relationship, my old, my old, my old, the only thing in the old for you that wasn't bad was your old self. Get real. You're not fooling me because myself right now needs repentance. I'm broken. We're not fooling anyone. Zacchaeus models repentance. And I just want to say, church, we've got to get good at repentance here. Let's stop being surprised when we wrong each other. Let's get good at repentance. Let's get good at repentance. Let's stop being so shocked when we do wrong or our kids do wrong. Let's get good at repentance. When was the last time you repented? When was the last time you repented to your kids? your coworkers who believers or not, when was the last time you repented to someone in community? Let that be an indicator of where you might need to grow in this skill of repentance. Repentance is not just for back then when you accepted Jesus, it is for every day as you draw closer to the holy, pure, good God. It's for right now. And if I sound a little harsh, Jesus in the same book we're reading from Luke in Luke 13 says, if you don't repent, you will perish. Perish. How many jobs, how many families, how many relationships are perishing because of the spirit of victimhood? I, can't, I, I could never do anything wrong. Yes, you could. You do. But the way, there's a way we get good at repentance. And this is what Zacchaeus gets. The way we get good at repentance has everything to do in our standing with Jesus. Our great temptation as you hear me talk about what I'm talking about today is that you would leave here saying, oh man, I've got to pursue harder, I've got to strive harder, I've got to work harder to have encounter with him. Let me just reread a bit of our story for you, if that's what you're feeling right now. And he, Zacchaeus, was climbing, seeking to see Jesus. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he, Jesus, was about to pass by. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Sorry, let me reread that again. And when Jesus came to the place, Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house tonight. Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus. He's climbing, he's running ahead, he's seeking to see Jesus, but who sees who first? Who sees who first? Jesus sees Zacchaeus first. 
And at the end of our story, we get the reveal. For the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. And then we start to understand. Jesus wasn't just passing through. He was passing through seeking encounter with Zacchaeus. He comes and sees Zacchaeus. He's climbed the tree and Jesus looks up and says to him, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. Zacchaeus, when you climb that tree, it does nothing. But Zacchaeus, when I climb that tree, when I climb that tree, it changes everything. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to climb a tree. I'm going to climb a cross, and then you will have encounter with me like you've never known. Come down from the tree. Someone will climb a tree, but it can't be you. Hurry down. Someone's going to come and spill their blood for you, but it can't be you. It's got to be me. Zacchaeus, I'm going to climb a tree and give you wealth you've never known. Zacchaeus, I'm going to climb a tree and give you freedom and give you a childlike heart you've never known. Friends, we're seeking after the seeking God. We are reaching for encounter for the God who is reaching for us. What trees are you climbing today that you need to come down addiction, anxiety, striving, overworking. What is the tree that you're climbing up for more that only Jesus can climb for you? The whole world right now is turned to the Middle East. The bloodshed, I I can't even... But it's it's not lost on me that... This war and this conflict, this bloodshed happening right now is all over a region where 2,000 years ago, Jesus as a real man came and gave of his blood so we might have a kingdom and a world of peace. Do you know that Jesus today? Are you tired of climbing your tree today? Hurry and come down. He's climbed a tree for you. It is finished. He'd like to have dinner with you. Will you receive him joyfully? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? God, we just need you to do your ministry here today. Holy Spirit, whatever you're trying to seal in the room, I think some people have been climbing, they've been striving, they've been seeking, and they just need to come down. They just need to welcome you to dinner, welcome you into their hearts and homes. I'm praying, Holy Spirit, for freedom today, the spirit of freedom in the room today. And Father, for those of us who know you and who have been walking with you, we say to you, God, you are great and we don't know you. We, we can't even begin to fully understand how much you love us. Come down from that tree. It doesn't work. He is the only one who can climb the cross and give you freedom. It is finished, it is done. Holy Spirit, would you encounter us today 
would you teach us after, to pursue after your heart, but to pursue in the freedom you've already won? Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you into our gathering. We invite you to do your ministry here today. In Jesus' name, amen.